Las Vegas is celebrating a newfound interest in the redevelopment of the historic West Side. But ribbon cuttings and colorful murals aside, this historical black neighborhood's origin story reveals a lot about our entire city. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with Sonny Brown and Emmett Gates. They're the creative forces behind the new documentary, Across the Tracks, which traces the prejudicial treatment of black people in our city and the impact of segregation all these decades later. It's Wednesday, February 21st. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Sunny Emmett, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Hey. Thanks for having us. So what does your documentary title, Across the Tracks, refer to in Las Vegas? Well, um, when you go back to the very origin of the city itself, it it all revolved around the railroad, Mm. um, which was uh, the perfect depot spot. Since there was water here, it was the perfect depot between Los Angeles and Salt Lake City. And so initially, the first Las Vegas town site would have been on the west side of the tracks okay and so that would would have been called the mcwilliams town site but again you know at that point in history we're talking 1905 water was you you could only access it through wells or you know stuff like that from the springs that were here um at some point clark uh, who was the actual partner to union pacific the railroad decided he was going to build a town site on the east side of the tracks. Right. We're talking about Senator William Clark from Montana, right? Uh, who is uh, obviously the namesake of our county. So, yeah, he decided, uh, Emmett, I want to let you continue uh, to, to do it on the east side of the track. So what happened then? Along with that, he also bought the water rights uh, mm. from Helen J. Stewart. And so he was able to you know, put in a, a water system you know, which was very attractive. So a lot of the people who had initially settled on the McWilliamstown site moved their operations to the east side of the town site. And today we would call that downtown Las Vegas. And so over the years, the McWilliamstown site fell into disrepair as there was municipal neglect. So that's where the story starts. And that's where the tracks reference comes from. Deliberate neglect orchestrated neglect. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of history and I love following all this stuff. And I remember the big feud between William Clark and JT McWilliams uh, as to where things should go. But like you say, Sonny, uh, intentionally, the the powers that be started neglecting that area west of the tracks. Um, and, and eventually we come to what we now know as the historic west side. So for people who might not know Uh, or who are new here, where is the actual historic West Side? Now, it has expanded over the years. And of course, if you live here, you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, then it's probably not going to make much sense without Google Maps. But um, again, you have what is downtown Las Vegas and directly across the tracks, you have what is the historic West Side. Now, I think Mm -hmm. it's important that we that we recognize that now the West Las Vegas would be considered Summerlin. So that's why it's important to emphasize the historic West Side, uh, because it's really central now. Um, But we're just talking about Maine and Bonanza right there. 
Right. As soon as you go under that underpass, which used to be called the unpassable underpass, um, that would be considered West Side up to about Martin Luther King uh, initially. But of course, at first it was much smaller than that. So now that's what we call the historic. Basically, just the the zip code eight nine one zero six. That's probably okay. the best way to determine. I always think of it as Bonanza Road, Washington Avenue, um, Avenue A, and then H Street. Okay, that's where I think of the historic West Side. And Emmett, you just called it, and I'm not going to let it pass. Um, the unpassable underpass. What did you mean by that? Well, initially that wasn't there. Um, that was a wall and, and, and it was intentionally to keep the people on the West side on the West side. And so kids who had to go to school at fifth street school or the Las Vegas high school, they would have to walk over the tracks, which was very dangerous. Um, businesses couldn't be accessed as, you know, by car, you know, it was, it was just dirt, you know? And so, um, at some point they built the underpass and then the two communities had easier access to one another. And when did... When did black people start kind of uh, becoming the sole residents of that area? That, that's very interesting because if when you go back to 1905, black people lived on the east side of the tracks with everyone else. There was nothing on the books, no Jim Crow style policy. No demarcation. Right. Mm. So blacks had businesses there. Uh, they could you know, just mix and mingle with everyone there. Now, uh, the the most uh, black people at that time were concentrated on an area called Block 17 and Block 32, which today would be directly across from the Mob Museum. Okay. And then right next to that was Block 16, which at the time was the only place in town where gambling, liquor sales, and prostitution was legal. So the red light district. So things change as the Great Depression ravages the rest of the country. Doesn't really hit Vegas um, in in the same way because of the building of the Hoover Dam, which was a big project, was going to employ a lot of people. So you had a lot of people uh, from around the country coming here for those jobs. Now, with that meant you got a lot of Southerners coming and they were bringing some of their, you know, their policies and their, their mindsets here. Suddenly, with the lifting of prohibition and with the legalization of gambling, now you have a tourist town. And so... Um, a lot of these tourists, a lot of people that had money was, it was oil money from the South. And so they brought their prejudices with them. And that's when you start to see this hardened response and this focus on race. Uh, Sonny, uh, in the documentary, you spoke to some original West Side residents or, you know, people who were in that area way in the beginnings, what what's one story you might be able to share with us today that helps paint a picture of what it looked like back then? I, I will say this from our findings that the West Side or that area was actually quite diverse. You had Hispanics, you had indigenous people, black people, white people, everybody was just working towards a better life for themselves until these policies came across. But the general consensus I got from my research and talking to people was that it was just people just trying to live their lives. They didn't have amenities like running water and things like that, but they were just people trying to just live their lives. Mm-hmm. And I saw in the parts of the documentary I saw, you know, people were still utilizing outhouses and people were having to live outside of their homes because they just you know, couldn't tolerate uh, the, the conditions, which was very different from other parts of Las Vegas. Is that fair? Well, initially, everyone lived in tents. 
Yeah. Everyone didn't matter. You know, people yeah. you get a piece of land and you would just build whatever kind of shelter you could. Homestead. Hmm. Um, but as the Vegas started to grow and, you know, we started getting federal help, the infrastructure started to flesh itself out. Meanwhile, uh, and, and I think it's important to state that initially the McWilliams town site was a mixture of everyone, um, mostly Latinos, railroad workers, Paiute people. They all lived there. And uh, when there was this push to make all of the black residents go there, there was a little resistance initially uh, from those in the McWilliamstown site and no infrastructure whatsoever. So people had to build whatever homestead they could with whatever they had. There was no help. You know, they, they had to dig wells, <laughs> you know, and yeah. so it was, yeah, initially uh, that's the way it went down. Talk about pulling yourself up from the bootstraps. Right. Uh, when they're, you know, kind of tying your shoelaces behind your back. One thing from the screening that I saw that there seemed to be uh, a particular elected official during that time who, I'm going to just say, fit the role of villain maybe more than anyone else. Uh, so one of you tell me about Las Vegas Mayor Ernie Cragen. Well, you know, we're living in an era of accountability, you know, historic accountability. Uh, and it's not lost on us that Cragen did make some some great contributions to the city. I mean, uh, Nellis Air Force Base being one of them. However, you know, he just had these racist policies. You know, before Vegas becomes the entertainment capital of the world, he was the movie theater king, right? Mm. Like he, he created the Orp El Portal. Uh, later on, his wife would go on to create my favorite childhood theater, the Red Rock. Um, oh, wow. You know, so uh, that's where he started to implement those policies. And, and what policies specifically are we talking about, Emmett? Jim Crow. Jim Crow. Uh, if you're black or, or Latino, you will sit in a certain section. And at the same time, he was booking black musical artists to perform, you know, back in the 1930s. In his theaters. In his theaters. Um, yeah. But... If you went there uh, as, as a patron and you were, you know, of color, you were going to sit in a certain spot. And according to the elders who, you know, uh, grew up, you know, going to the El Portal, they would talk about how uncomfortable it was, how it was designed to make you uncomfortable and not want to come back. There's a famous story of Sammy Davis Jr. When he came here for the first time with the Will Maston trio, he decided to go catch a movie once he discovered he wasn't allowed to patronize the casinos that he performed at. And he was physically attacked for sitting in the wrong place in the El Portal. Oh, wow. As mayor, did he enact any uh, specific policies or was he behind any pushes uh, from uh, a policy standpoint that that created this sort of inequity within our community? Well, it, it, being mayor gave him, a, you know, a, a great deal of power. So mm. however he was running his movie theaters, it probably would have just been that because by all accounts, the, the railroad came with some segregation. Like, you know, if you were black, you could only work certain jobs there and stuff like that. But there still wasn't this all out in your face racism where there's signs up saying you can't come here, you can't come that. So once he becomes mayor, uh, his belief systems spill into that. He believed that if you made it uncomfortable for the black people here, they would eventually leave. They'll come here and work, make money and leave. That was his, you know, his, his philosophy. So he just neglected uh, the only part of town that, you know, people of color could live. 
everyday things that you just didn't have because of the neglect. Access to basic services, uh, hospitals, honestly, just having like indoor plumbing, electricity, garbage pickup. Well, definitely in your documentary, you you talk about this Ebony Magazine article uh, that really <laughs> uh, coined Las Vegas at that time as the Mississippi of the West, which, you know, just humiliating, but it was a, a thoughtful analysis of what was really going on. But what really struck me was that there was still this resilience of the community that had been intentionally segregated. Sonny, maybe what were some of the more hopeful moments of progress that you noted in the documentary? I think that we end up doing, when I say we, I mean Black folks, end up doing for ourselves. Um, Certainly somebody started their own resort and casino. Uh, We had shops up, churches, everything. We formed groups, things that they had in the South when they migrated to Las Vegas. They they just recreated like La Femme Deuce, the uh, cotillion. They just decided like we're just going to continue living our life regardless of the conditions. Yeah. Was there any big pushback during uh, this era, 50s, 60s, when, you know, people were like, we're just not going to be treated as second class citizens? Oh, absolutely. Starting with Josephine Baker. Mm Mm-hmm. Josephine Baker was the first entertainer because entertainers had been coming here as early as the, you know, the forties with the Will Masson trio. You had Pearl Bailey, um, Lena Horne. Uh, she performs at the Flamingo when it opens and, yes. uh, mm-hmm. you know, so, so they were performing and in some, in a lot of those cases, they were given uh, the ability to stay like Lena Horne famously was able to stay at the Flamingo Um at the behest of Bugsy Siegel, although he did instruct his maids to burn her linens uh, when they changed them out. Oh, charming. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So one, so one step forward, 10 steps back. Right, right. Yeah, there was it was just a strange thing. And we kind of explore that in the film, too, just the, 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 the history of American entertainment and yeah. how from its inception, it has been based. It always had something to do with the African-American identity. I didn't know all those stories. I heard little bits and pieces, so it's really nice to see those expanded. Do you think that there's anything else that, you know, old Las Vegans uh, like me, even those who were born and raised, uh, are going to learn from the documentary? Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, the goal is, I don't care who you are, how long you've been here, there's going to be something in this film that makes you say, I did not know that. Also, it's a very Las Vegas story. Mm. You know, we're the city where people can come from all over the country and redefine themselves, create this paradise for their own self. Um, I think that is is not necessarily uniquely ours, but definitely we have put a stamp on it. There's so many people who came here from being oppressed somewhere else and just were able to thrive. And the West Side is a very good example of that. We, we have to understand that at that time, we're talking early, you know, uh, you know, 1920s, 30s. Um, at that time, uh, you know, black people in the South, on top of dealing with Jim Crow policies, faced terrorism as well mm-hmm. from groups like the Red Shirts, groups like the Klan, and in Las Vegas. So when they get here, this this Jim Crow is really kind of light work. You know, they're like, okay, so I couldn't go anywhere there, but I don't have to worry about my son yes. being lynched. So um, we have to take that into account too. That racism was everywhere. The racism in Vegas was just a little easier than the racism elsewhere. It's all the same. Yeah. This is sad to say it that way, but it's true. Well, we are seeing right now uh, a, a spotlight 
on the historic West Side in a lot of ways. I mean, your documentary is going to be another piece of that. Uh, Usher, during the Super Bowl, uh, before that, took a tour and talked about some of the same themes. Uh, And there's a lot of energy, but also there's still discussion of challenges. And I'm wondering what issues and challenges is the historic West Side still dealing with today? Yeah, economic uh, development, really. It's uh, where's the money? We have this money that's been allocated to take care of many different parts of the city, and the West Side is not really getting it. Or they're now getting it, but it's a slow trickle. Why do you think it's so slow? And, you know, is it one of those things where we're like, oh, problem solved, we're moving forward now? Or uh, are, are there still challenges that need to be addressed head on? I think... It's very complicated. A lot of it is just municipality rules, different uh, people coming in. So there's that. There's also, what are we doing for the residents? We have to get the residents involved and people have different ideas. So it's like, I think it's general bureaucracy on top of, we'd like to preserve the historic West Side, but we also don't want to get rid of the people who are there. A lot of times when we talk about redevelopment in uh, areas that are blighted, we tend to push out the people who were there and we make it something completely different. And that is not what the historic West Side needs. There are residents who've been there two, three generations. We can't get rid of them. Um, We can't push them out and make taxes higher or anything like that. So it's about having a fine balance. Well, and there's also this kind of idea that you hear from a lot of you know, conservative commentators that, uh, you know, racism and prejudice is a thing of the past in America and that we shouldn't be like focusing or hyper focusing on the historical racism because, you know, things are better now. And then they would point to things like, look, people are talking about redevelopment. That's a good thing. Why do we need to keep talking about the history of racism in a community? So I I guess why should Las Vegas care uh, given that perspective, which I obviously don't agree with, but uh, to care about the history and redevelopment of the historic West Side. Because if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Recently, we saw what happened with McCarran Airport. That's always been the name of the airport as far as I was you know, alive. But then they changed the name. And then when you find out why they changed the name and, you, and you're forced to go back and revisit that history, you know, I, I think it's it's important to point out that things are better now, you know, uh, um, as far as racism, but it's still there. It's still there. And and it's important to, to talk about that history so that, again, we don't repeat it. We understand this is what happened. When we think of Las Vegas history, we're quick to jump to the gangsters. We're quick mm-hmm. to jump to cowboys. This is a piece of history. We hear little tidbits about all oh, Sammy Davis Jr., this and that, but we never talk about the people. We never talk about the people who actually endured that, who lived there. And so this is just another piece of Las Vegas history that, you know, because if we don't, that area is is doomed to become just an extension of downtown, right? Mm. We do want the redevelopment there, but we also want the heritage to be maintained so people understand these are the streets where these things happen. Sonny, what do you think would be the most important aspect of the heritage of Historic West Side that needs to be preserved as we move forward in talking about helping or developing or redeveloping that area? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I want to say it's a big part of Las Vegas history. Like we're all in it together just because one group is on this side. We're still all in it together. And it's it's an authentic part of Las Vegas history in a way that needs to be maintained. 
Jeff Carter often talks about how Las Vegas is America's id. You know, we have a very short memory. We blow things up. We rebuild. Uh, we don't stick to our history. We keep enough. Everything's new. And in a in a city where we are constantly rebuilding and reinventing, it's nice to know that this is a section of the city that started out this way, but has slowly morphed into something else, but still Las Vegas. It's not the mob. It's not it's not the the dam. It is the people who came to Las Vegas and made Las Vegas Las Vegas. When is the first time that people can see the documentary in its entirety? March 6th. We're probably going to do a tour in Las Vegas, but it's going to be exclusively in Las Vegas. You know, it's going to be a limited release. Um, we're still figuring out the locations as we speak. Be nice if you could sort of take over the old El Portal for a second. And, uh, <laughs> right. Because I think that's an empty space right now. It's under some renovation there. But anyway. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's like an antique or like a... There's I, something I, going on yeah, over there. there. There's I'm a store really. there. Yeah, it's a tourist store. Or they could hurry up with the damn Huntridge already, but that's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> Sonny Brown and Emmett Gates, thank you so much for joining us on CityCast Las Vegas and good luck with your documentary. Right on. Thanks thank for having so us. much for having us. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, hey, go tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review. We read every single review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Till then, stay lucky. Stay lucky.